thanks so much for being here today. Uh, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Janina Harvey-Bruin, um, and I am the Head of Operations and Employer Programming uh, within the Careers Department at Royal Holloway University. Uh, I've been working in higher education for, I think, coming up to seven or eight years now, working in different institutions, um, and I've been working in careers specifically. This is coming up to my fourth year. Oh, wow. What an introduction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess just before we um, dive right into it, like how are you doing in this weird uh, lockdown of a quote unquote new normal and how have you been taking care of your well-being? Yes, thank you so much for asking. I think it's sometimes you get caught up in these professional conversations and you have to remember there's a person behind this desk yeah. trying to work out of their living room or their kitchen. I'm in my kitchen right now. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been okay. I think for me it's been quite lucky. The house that I'm in is fairly quiet. I don't have any dependents at the moment. So working, is, has not, working remotely has not been too difficult. Um, I do really miss my team and I miss that kind of social interaction and I'm trying to do as few Zoom calls as I can to try and reduce my screen time um, and I've had to be really strict with myself about kind of cutting off at five or half five and, mm. and then trying to change my space so it doesn't feel so much like an office anymore. It goes back to being my home. Um, so really kind of putting those things in place has helped me with coping. Oh gosh. Well, first off, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think part of why this is such a weird moment is because suddenly when you email people you say oh hope you're well hope your family's doing well hope you're doing safe so it's suddenly gotten mm -hmm. a little bit more intimate yeah. email language wise Absolutely. Um, but i totally relate to what you just said about transitioning your space because now our homes have become like our office our gyms our relaxation center and I mean, I've started to see a lot of literature on how to take care of your mental health. And one of them was transition your living space. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, it, they, they say they say if you um, if you can't sleep in the middle of the night, the first thing you should do is get out of bed because you don't want to associate your bed with a place of not sleeping. Oh, and right, yeah. like I'm trying to apply that to my my office slash kitchen at the moment, kind of, you know, it's an office at certain times of the day, but I really don't want it to feel like that all the time because then that can trigger you to feel like you're keeping you, you still have to work and things like that so I think changing the physical space is really important mentally for kind of I've switched off now I don't have to think about my work my laptop is out of my view and and I think that really helps to cope with both particularly if you've got a small space I mean I know some people have offices within their houses I don't so I'm having to use the same space for eating for working for working out for you know it's all the same room so I have to make it look different in order to feel different yeah definitely it's just these little things that have only become highlighted uh because of all of this right so bizarre Absolutely. but so important mm. uh so just to transition now um so our season our current season is about heritage mm. and i think it's even more timely given that you know we're all more or less at home so we're doing a lot of reflecting and thinking yeah. um how do you think your own heritage has impacted you like in the past and um, just present day now? I know that's a really general question, Big but question. I'm just curious <laughs> how you interpret it. 
Yeah, um, I might start answering by talking about, I guess, how I identify and what heritage, because heritage, I mean, you can look at the, the dictionary definition and I think there are, there are a couple of different ones, but heritage to me is about kind of your background, both physically, but also socially, it's about your, you know, your own personal traditions and rituals and practices and where they come from. So for me, that is a mixture of being British and being born in England, particularly the south of England. So I have a lot of affinity with the traditions and practices there. Both of my parents come from Trinidad and Tobago. So I was raised in a house, you know, where we didn't have Sunday roasts and, and things like that. Okay. I ate a lot of Caribbean food and you know, and Notting Hill Carnival is very important to me and, and things like that. So having that blend is something I've always um, used and, and taken advantage of where I can through life. And I think it's, that's helped me a lot. Um, obviously, presenting as black as well as, as part of my heritage as well. I'm a black woman and I can't, uh, you know, do anything to, to hide that uh, in, in the way that some other people maybe uh, are able to assimilate their, their heritage a bit better. Um, so that's had a mixture of, of, of good and bad. You know, I've experienced um, particularly entering the, the workforce still as a fairly young woman, I would say. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's had its challenges as well. Um, but on the on the other side, it's also opened up a lot of opportunities. Particularly this year, this has been such an important year with Black with Black Lives Matter and that movement and things like that. And being a Black woman in higher education and being given that space to to share and to lead. Um, has really has really helped as well. So yeah, heritage is it's a big question. I'm not sure if I've answered it entirely, but I think having for me having that mixture of um, kind of being born and raised in Britain, but also by non-British parents has created quite a mixture for me. Yeah. Wow. So, do you think your own heritage is something that you think about on a daily basis, or do you think you've had to think about it more recently because of like you know black lives matter and these race conversations suddenly you know, mm. appearing more in the media yeah i it's it's interesting i think it's it i had a bit of an aha moment maybe when i was about 19 20 and that's when i started to think about my heritage a lot kind of you know where did i come from and i wanted to understand more about myself because when I was a teenager, it didn't really feature, I didn't think about it too much in my life and it didn't really affect me. Um, but it was, I think it was going to a new sixth form, it was going to a new college, meeting a new set of people and having to establish myself and I wanted to understand my roots a bit better. So that's where my journey kind of started. I think the last year it's really been, and the last couple of months, particularly during lockdown, it's kind of almost been highlighted for me in a different way. Mm -hmm. So it might not have, you know, this wouldn't have been the exploration that I would have chosen for myself. I think it's been, you know, quite a traumatic period. Um, but it has made me think about my heritage a lot more than maybe I would have done normally. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I guess combating some conversations and having assumptions made about me and how I feel about it has made me think about my heritage a bit more as well and kind mm -hmm. of what's important to me, how I want to be defined, what terminology I'm comfortable with. Um, I feel like that's been exaggerated a little bit more this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I like the way you put that. It's definitely been exaggerated, but whether that exaggeration becomes uh, something more productive and concrete is another question that uh, yes, we all have. That, that's the question now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, when do you think within your heritage, like you've had to uh, like 
choose between like being British or being from um, not even necessarily by ethnicity, but from a different area, or you mentioned your parents are from Trinidad and Tobago, like, do you feel like you've had to choose? Absolutely. And I think often that choice is made for you by other people and it comes back to their assumptions you know you can hear I don't have a, a Trinidadian accent at all and you know sometimes I'm asked why is that and I have to explain I wasn't born there so I don't have the accent <laughs> it seems like a silly conversation when you say it out loud but that sort of stuff happens or you know when people ask me about Trinidad and Tobago they expect me to know a lot more than I do or, you know, when I when, and then when I tell people that I'm British, you know, I have to answer maybe six or seven questions to justify, you know, how British I am kind of, oh. you know, it's those inevitable yeah. kind of, but where are you really from kind of questions. And I say, Kent, you know, that's, that's where it all started for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, it's, yeah, so there's a lot of, I get a lot of questions about, I get more questions put on me about my heritage than that make me reflect on it rather than kind of, it coming I'm quite comfortable with my heritage I feel like I answer a lot of questions to justify it to other people do you do you feel like um so I mean I, I think the underlying tone here is that it's you not always but usually if you identify as a certain ethnicity um most of the time white people will say oh um I love Caribbean food I yeah. love Asian food tell me more it's like well they I don't really need to explain that to you. But yeah. uh, on the reverse, um, have you had interactions with people in the Caribbean uh, or Caribbean community where they say like, oh, how do you not know this? Like, aren't you from here? Like, have you had interactions like that? Yeah, I have. I have, particularly with, you know, with other Black people, kind of how do you not know about this? Or, you know, if you showed me a map of Trinidad right now, I probably couldn't point out all of the different towns and cities, you know, I, I you know, I, but I could do that for the south of England because that's that's what I know. Right. Um, so there are there are challenges from both sides, um, I, and I don't believe that sometimes you know, you you said before that um, kind of oh I love Caribbean food or I love Asian food. I think sometimes that doesn't always come from a place of malice. I think it is someone trying to understand yeah. you, but in but maybe just a little bit clumsy in in what they say. You know, I've yeah. had a lot of people that jerk chicken is like not caribbean it's very jamaican <laughs> and there are other islands that do other foods <laughs> you know it, it's to do with the perception of those cultures in this country a little bit and you can't blame the individual for what they've been exposed to so you know bob marley was a much bigger artist in this country than some other caribbean artists so they assume that all people yeah. from the caribbean have dreadlocks and sound like that and things like that so you just have to keep kind of challenging and educating people to think a bit wider than what they've been exposed to yeah absolutely no you're you're right i mean i'm sure like sometimes i i even say like things like that where i mean to say like uh oh like i love x food just to relate to someone but i could have yeah. said it better um but unfortunately as, as you've pointed it out it is it is how the society perceives a certain ethnic group that translates to how we speak in conversation unfortunately yeah. long way to go so i think we're getting there but long yeah, way to go absolutely um, and it's, it's conversations <laughs> like this that help to to help to educate people i think because it's not as i say it's not coming from a place of malice it's coming from someone's understanding and you know you can't really um 
you can't really educate somebody to such to a different opinion or a different experience without talking to them about mm. it. So mm. one one of the reasons I wanted to do this this talk, you know, just to share my story and share my experience. It's not going to be true for everybody. It's not even true for everybody in my family. I have siblings that identify much closer with Trinidad and Tobago than I do, but we were both raised the same and we both have but we have different experiences with even within that family. So society is going to be even more different. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're not just because you are, well, the famous example, just because we're both in the BAME label, we're very oh, different people, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other um, oh. month's worth of conversation. I know. I know. I read something the other day that, um, when you look at the people that I that are actually included in the BAME category, it actually makes up the global majority. So you cannot use a term to generalize a majority. It just it doesn't make sense. But people yeah. do sometimes they you know, they use BAME a bit lazily. Yeah, it's it's a I think it's just the sloppy label. I mean it's easy, isn't it, if you just put people under a label like, okay, we have a category for you, we're done, cool. But yes uh no <laughs> yeah yeah uh actually i'm i'm curious though i think just in i mean in my conversations with other people from, from what i've read um you know if you are a person of color in terms of heritage specifically like when you are like a child you have this realization as you describe um and then you either really stick with it and you're proud of it and you go through with it or you're challenged so you don't come back to it until much later. Yeah. Um, but what about for you then? Um, so you have that realiz realization and then did you just stick with it or like what, what happened from that point on? Um, I, I would say I embraced it. I definitely didn't shy away from it. I, I probably had a little bit of wobble kind of realizing how different I was and how, you know, how different I felt compared to other people. But then I started to replace that word different with kind of unique and special and things like oh, that. Wow. And, and actually kind of really, and I'm so lucky that I had kind of the support network to help me change my thinking on that, like my parents and friends and family and things like that. But I think once you stop thinking of it as different and you start thinking of it as unique and special and something to contribute, um, I really took a lot of power from that and, and felt empowered to be that, that different person and to be that unique person. Um, so that's how it happened to me. Wow, that's, um, that, that's really amazing. I think <laughs> it's, that's really hard to have that mindset, especially just you know, even as a teenager, like, oh, I need to fit in. Like that pressure to conform is just so real. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Oh, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. Um, <laughs> do you, so you mentioned you had a strong support network. So um, I'm assuming just in addition to maybe like your family and friends, did you have relatable role models to help you achieve that mindset? Um, yes. But not many. I think my my relationship with my parents is 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 very good and very close. And both of my parents, I would say, are superstar role models. You know, mm -hmm. and I really I really took a lot of strength from them. Um, I would look at kind of people in the media, and I guess actors and musicians and politicians, and you know, trying to trying to find people like me in in that 
space and in that circle. So that's when I really started to to search. And it's only when I searched that I noticed kind of the la- things like lack of representation and mm-hmm. things like that, because I was actively seeking people like me and then being disappointed when I didn't find many of them. Um, and that's kind of what made me passionate about wanting to see more representation and wanting to see more black people in senior positions, because I know there will be people who felt like me in years to come looking for what will be us in their spaces to aspire to um so yeah that's kind of what I'm working towards at the moment (laughs) or trying to (laughs) well so yeah you're so you're in a um well I was a pretty high position at a university so for you when you want you know like to seek inspiration or to see representation even for position above you um well a do you see a lot of representation above you? I think I kind of already know the answer to this. And (laughs) how do you motivate yourself when, you know, sometimes representation is so sparse? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And and I think some of the events that we've seen over the summer um, to go back to Black Lives Matter have really helped to connect those people. Um, So, you know, trying to find representation in in any one institution is is quite narrow. We know the statistics around, you know, black academics and black professional services operating at senior levels. So I have, for myself, I've really sought out networks that span different universities and higher education institutes Mm -hmm. within the sector. You know, I I met my first uh, black head of career service um, earlier this year and I was like oh, it can happen um, and for <laughs> yes. me it was it was so important meeting her yeah. you know just to hear from her and hear her journey and she talks about kind of her road to being head of careers as well and then she introduced me to others and seeing um, I think it was a, an event produced by Wonky they invited a, a black vice chancellor um, to speak as well and I thought wow okay so that that level can happen for us and kind of mm-hmm. it's so important to connect sometimes you have to go outside of your institution particularly if it's not if it's not very diverse within itself um, the reality is we know there aren't enough of us in the sector so mm-hmm. it's, it's it's good to work across universities I think and I think the same would be true for any for a lot of sectors where it's not you know you haven't got where you've got quite a small minority you do have to seek wider than your own organization mm, yeah I, and I, I also think I remember you mentioned um last time when we talked um you said something to the effect of it's really important to have um inter-institutional networks because sometimes you just need to vent and if you vent to someone who's not in your institution then they can not only just give you something objective to say back but they're not in your institution so it's absolutely absolutely you need that support you need that space to you need that space to criticize you need that space to acknowledge you need that space for advice um and sometimes it's not always appropriate to to be able to bring that up with your line manager or with someone who is too close to the situation sometimes you need that objective opinion and I think um you know inter-university networks are a really good way to to do that right um and so in addition to the networks can you tell us about any um other events or projects you have worked on or is working on or sorry are working on now uh to do with uh heritage specifically uh just well, sure, but to be honest, I'm just interested in, <laughs> like, your in general, so. Yeah, um, um, yeah. so I guess 
to do with heritage, so I recently, um, well, last year, was made chair of the Cultural Diversity Network of Royal Holloway. So that's a, a piece of work oh, wow. that I'm, I'm really, really focused on. And it's all about kind of making sure that diversity is celebrated at Royal Holloway. And we do push for things that affect um, certain cohorts of staff in particular. So we've been looking, a recent project, we've been looking at risk assessments in response to COVID. We know that uh, for some ethnic minorities, there is a higher level of, um, of high level of risk so we just want to make sure that is reflected in the university's policies going you know in, in when they protect their staff so things like that um, but then also things like celebrating black history month and making sure that it is you know a true celebration across the college and different departments can contribute in their own ways so we've got some exciting things coming up there um, the other thing that i have been involved in this year is really trying to get a um a network set up across my sector I would say and that's what I'm talking about career services specifically um, there is no defined mm -hmm. network at the moment for Black or BAME staff who are career mm -hmm. professionals you do have some for um, people working in higher education in generally but um, one of the you know after speaking to some colleagues they said that was something that they would really like to see to be able to talk you know specifically about our profession as as black staff so that's something that I'm working with um, ADCAF which is the professional body for careers um, and guidance um, staff uh, to try and set that up as well but I think that could be quite another really powerful platform um, both for working with employers to support uh, black and BAME students but also um, supporting the staff who are black and BAME as well within career services. Yeah definitely um, yeah I would love to hear how that goes and it, it did occur to me how especially at you know a university is huge Mm. And so it's really important to have networks like that, again, like not just to foster solidarity and inspiration, but also to have leverage at, at the university. Absolutely. Right? absolutely. And I've noticed that a lot of the networks, um, so it, when, when you have university wide networks, they do tend to favor or majority academic staff yeah. or the professional services staff. I've been in some of those groups where I've really felt like a minority. They don't understand kind of my line of work and progression because it's not, you know, it's not about academics. It's not about papers and, yeah. and research for me. There are different challenges specific to professional services. So one of the reasons I'm invested in setting up this group is because, you know, as a career service, we are we do sit within professional services quite firmly. And I think that needs to be explored separate from the academics. Like, you know, I'm not saying that they don't have challenges themselves as well and we you know there are countless statistics to quote on how on, on the lack of progression for black professors and lecturers yeah but that is a that is a different challenge for my experience yeah. i i don't really have much to do with that in my working life right yeah you're you're so right like on the one hand i'm just relieved that these networks exist in general but now like i would like you know more networks for yeah other yeah you know professional services stuff are there and i think this is such a tangent but we chatted last time about the term admin staff or yeah, support, and staff. support staff yeah <laughs> <laughs> Came up with these exactly exactly uh, um 
Yeah, so I'll leave that there for now because <laughs> I don't have a solution, but I just wanted to say that out loud. Well, stop um, calling it support staff. That, I think that would be the any university that is still referring to professional services as support staff, you know, I call on them to stop. <laughs> that, that will be one solution. Um, cool. They are they are business services. They yes, some of yeah. them some of the tasks are administrative. But professional services, I think, um, you know, is a term that gives it the parity that, that it needs. You know, universities run, yes, for teaching and learning, but also for student experience. It's the reason why the NSS survey carries a lot more weight than some of the academic leagues. You know, it's, it's professional services have a vital role in the running of universities. And I think calling them support staff yeah. just, just demeans it. Yes, you know, absolutely. And I think with... <laughs> No, you're in career service. That is a service that students ask about before even applying to an institution and they Absolutely. go to it all the time. That is vital. Um, I, I think, well, for the, you just, you preach the choir. That's a hundred percent. Like, yeah. I feel a bit, I think what is also confusing is that it's like, do you want to call us admin, support staff or professional? Like I've seen all you know, yeah. you know, uni-wide email, there's like all three terms, like make up your mind. Yeah. And they'll criticize you because right now it's like, what is happening here? But I know it's not given a priority and I'm not sure if it ever will. Well, actually, well, maybe. Well, I actually <laughs> think it would have to. And I think a lot has changed in the last couple of weeks when, you know, even just this move to digital um, digital uh, delivery that we're all facing as universities, the teams that have been most active with that will be your health and safety, your estates team, making sure that the campus is secure. IT teams prefer, you know, making sure that all of the IT infrastructure is in place, you know, there's student welfare, um, commercial services, residential services. These are all professional service teams and they have been at the front line, you know, since the beginning of lockdown trying to make this work. Admissions, student admissions, look what happened with clearing. You know, that is a professional services team that is managing that situation. Right. So. You know, with every challenge that we've had to face, even in the last year, I could point to two or three teams within professional services that are, you know, combating that problem. And it's, you know, it's not academics at the moment. Um, I don't want to say anything bad about academics because universities are, you know, first and foremost, a place for learning. And we can't do that with academics. But none of that would work without the professional services team. Um, I won't even say supporting, but helping, you know, to make this work as well. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point, actually. I, I wonder if, I mean, certainly like digital delivery has kind of acted as a catalyst to change a lot of things. Mm. So maybe it will push these conversations to job titles, as well, well, titles in general as well. What tips would you want to share with a woman of color in higher education? Um, to women of all colors? Um. You know what, just, uh, I will leave it to you to how you want to answer. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a really interesting question. And um, for me, women of, women of color or people of color um, mm. seems like a bit of a, a non-term, everybody has a color, but I'll, I'll respond. If, if you're asking about kind of black women or about BAME women, um, I would, in from my own experience i would encourage you to take advantage of this particular opportunity we have at the moment with black lives matter 
and to speak out because, um, you know, whatever their motivations, universities have pledged to do better in the area of being of race equality and becoming anti-racist. So they are actively looking for advocates and representation. So I would say, you know, use your position and use your platform as much as possible. Um, you know, I've been invited to meetings. I've been asked to advise on things and um, that I wouldn't normally have done because they want um, you know, they need more representation on their teams or on their boards or things like that. So mm -hmm. just take advantage of that opportunity and, and make sure that it, it counts for something. Don't sign up for something without, you know, getting the getting the the uh, assurances that it's going to be meaningful. That's the other thing I'd say. You know, I'm not a I'm certainly not a token person on any board that I sit on and I make sure that my contribution is valid and it's recognized and that it actually um, is implemented as well. Mm, yeah, that's excellent advice. Um, just to <laughs> just to go back to the beginning, the reason why I was a little vague about women of color is because uh -huh. I only noticed this recently, um, just in conversations when I would say, oh, you know, people of color, women of color, some people would um, answer on behalf of predominantly, you know, just black people or black women, which mm -hmm. makes sense given the political climate right now. But then there would be a few responses where they would start off as, as kind of you said, like, well, you know, everyone does have a color, which is true. Mm -hmm. But then they would start answering off by like white women first, which yeah. I found really, I don't know, I, I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised. So I found how people approach this question um, interesting. I think that alone says a lot and how, you know, we perceive um, social condition answers. But um, when you said, you know, I make sure I'm not the token person on this committee, on this board, whatever. How do you make sure you're not the token person? Um, you just you just have to be strong and you have to not commit. You know, I've been I've been I'll give you an example, not not from Royal Holloway, but I was asked to join a, a board of trustees and I asked them why. And that made them really think about kind of why you know were they asking me because i was a woman were they asking me because i was black were they asking me because that someone had had a look at my cv and said that there was some you know saw that there was something i could contribute to it and i would only have joined for the latter reason you know it's got to be because i'm making a professional contribution not just because of what i look like or because you need me in the photo um mm -hmm. you know so make sure that that they can articulate why they want you i say it to all of my students you know when they're applying for jobs and things like that you know you've got to articulate what you can bring to the table but there's also an expectation from the employers to be able to articulate why they need you and why they want your skills so I just apply that to to joining boards and meetings and things like that if, if you if you don't see yourself making a valuable contribution and a meaningful contribution mm -hmm. to the discussion then you don't have to put yourself through it um, because for some people it can be quite traumatic it can be quite emotional being the person that has to answer those particular questions um, so you know don't do it unless it's unless you can you get that guarantee that it's going to be meaningful and it's going to have impact Oh man. Wow. <laughs> that, no, that's such, I think as I was listening to you, I thought, oh, 
I need to work on how to say no. But it's, it's much it's much easier to it's much easier to to say than do. I'll be honest, and you know it's something that I have had to really practice and learn. And you know, leaning on my network as well for support because there's times where I've wanted to say, you know, I really want to be in the room with them. You know, this would be really good for my CV and stuff like that. And I've had to stop and think. Actually, is am I benefiting from this, or are they just benefiting from mm. me? And you have to really reflect on that because you know I. I don't want to be taken advantage of. I would like to pursue my career as a professional and I wouldn't want the fact that I'm black or female to hinder that. I would like that to be a benefit and I would like to use that benefit if, if I have the opportunity, but it's got to, you know, it's got to be a benefit to you as well as the organization. And I think if enough of us take that approach, then we will only be approached by organizations for meaningful work because they'll realize that they can't just get any more token people to take part in, in photo ops and signings oh. and charters and all of that kind of tick boxing exercise. Right. Yeah. I mean, no one wants to be reduced down to their skin and gender for mm. a stupid photo hop that's displayed for all of that institution's yeah. <laughs> eternity. Um, exactly. I, I wonder, I have a, a side question to this actually for, um, I think, I, I would say, you know, in general women, but um, the advice that tends to be given out is you have to play the game in order you know get just get in there and then just follow mm -hmm. the rules don't do anything crazy and once you're settled and that's when you can hire the people you want that's when you can push forward your initiatives um which i find really um i don't know like discouraging but you move from the private sector to the to higher education do you think yes. this is true um a little bit true. It's not a, for for want of using a better term. It's not black or white. It's um, you know, it's a bit <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a bit half and half. I think there is an element to living a professional life, and there are professional kind of guidelines and rules. And you know, people want to progress and they want to develop their careers, and there are things that that you that you need to do and assimilate in order to do that. But I think I think you set your own limits with that, and I think the more I've been in higher education and the, the the more successful I've been, I've been able to set more of those limits for myself. I certainly wasn't this brave as an entry level kind of events assistant, kind of calling the shots with with senior management. But as as I've progressed, I've been able to set more of those limits for myself and also add more support to those coming underneath me. So it's a it's a process. It's a real process. There is an mm -hmm. element of, of playing the game, but I think that's true for for everything in life mm. but um but you should be able to determine what your limits are within that game mm. true words that how to, <laughs> to work on that yeah um, it's not it's not an it's not an exact science and i certainly haven't figured it out for myself but what i've learned is that it's it's getting for me it's getting a little bit easier to set some of my own boundaries and to kind mm. of pull out of the game at different times um two years ago i think it would have been it would have been a bit harder two years from now i'm hoping it will be easier and i can set even yeah. more of those boundaries for myself so it's it's a journey i think yeah oh absolutely and i guess this just relates but or is there like what media have you been consuming to help you to um keep you informed and to inspire you like during your journey <laughs> mm -hmm. oh gosh so many um 
recently I am reading a lot from uh, a group called Black Young Professionals. Uh, mm. So they are an online um, network uh, and they have an app and a website and they regularly produce news uh, and articles. What I really like about that network is the community aspect of it. So they have different um, sectors of interest or different communities that you can join and you can meet other um, other black professionals, not necessarily young as the name uh, suggests, it can be any age, I think, or well, they let me in, so it can be any age. Oh, um, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're obviously kind of mainstream news as well, uh, BBC, Channel 4, you know, mm. ITV, whatever channel you subscribe to. Mm. Um, and then uh, there's a lot coming out from the Black Cultural Archives, um, mm. based in Brixton as well, um, in terms of, you know, taking this opportunity to put on events and celebrate Black history. And, and, and a lot of universities are actually producing a lot of academic material as well that's really interesting, um, you know, Forgotten Hero series and things like that. Um, it, well, not forgotten to me, but maybe forgotten to society. And, <laughs> yeah. and take, taking this opportunity to, to promote kind of what they otherwise might not have had time or opportunity to do. Um, so there is a lot out there that, you know, if you want to find it, it's, I don't think it's hard to find, as hard to find maybe as it would have been a couple of years ago. Mm, okay. Well, yeah, we'll link that in, in the show notes. But yeah, that, wow, that must make such a difference to have like a network to consume like other media and just to like chat yeah. to about, goes a long way, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, for me, for me, the community aspect is what has helped me the most. I mean, I love to read and I, I can read all the time, but that feeling that you're not alone and speaking to people who um, and hearing all of their unique journeys, because there is no black experience. There's no certainly no BAME experience. You've really got to go out and talk to individuals. And I mean, I'm having this conversation with you now, but there will be there will be people who look like me who don't relate to it at all. And there will be people who don't look like me that identify with everything I'm saying. So yeah. you only learn that the more people you speak to. Um, right. So I really try and open myself up to, to speak to as many people as possible because then, then I'll understand better. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, it's the exposure that, not yeah. to be too corny, but, you know, like broadens your mind. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And you have to be open to that. And you have to be, I think this year, there was a lot of, there was a lot in the media of, you know, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that's, yeah. that's really important. Um, that's part of that exposure and opening yourself up and allowing yourself to, you know, receive another person as well. That, that for mm-hmm. me is the, the essential thing. I mean, I, I personally, well, actually, so I, I much prefer an in-person conversation. And, you know, if, if when I got to this country, I was kind of like, oh, I think you're interesting. Let's go for a coffee. But I don't know if it was me. Maybe I came on a bit too aggressive. or <laughs> Maybe that's not the culture. I don't know. But um, so that was uh, sidetracking. But do you think like with this pandemic most of us are working from home do you think it's helped you to network with more people than you normally would have had time to network with absolutely absolutely because it's taken all of that you know the people i've met in the last couple of months at conferences and at events and things Mm -hmm. one i wouldn't have been able to go to all of those events because Mm -hmm. of you know the cost to attend and the travel and Mm -hmm. things like that yeah i have I have met people that I would never, you know, have been in the room with, let alone had had the opportunity to meet. Um, And it's very easy to set up a Zoom coffee or something like that. You can do it in 15 minutes. You don't have to worry about expenses for a travel card. Like it's it's um, it's it's really helped me to to connect with people. 
Yeah. Silver lining. Well, this might... Uh, well, that's how we met. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was really... Um, I found it really refreshing like, on the uh, the Google Meet meeting where a, a lot of us were for the policy paper. Um, you know, you invited people to connect with you and then I did and you said, let's, let's meet up. And I thought, yes, this is great. This is one of the silver linings of this pandemic that, um, you know, we are taking advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. I think for some people, I mean, I I used to teach networking skills to to PhDs and postdocs, and it's one of the hardest things. It's like asking someone out on a date. It's very difficult to do it in person, but (laughs) sometimes it's easier to send a message, kind of, would you connect with me? So I think for a lot of people who might not have been able to do the in person networking, this has offered them, you know, a really valuable opportunity to connect virtually so maybe I think maybe more connections have been made virtually than would have done in person yeah I definitely found that um actually so just to go back to what you said I didn't know you taught uh networking sessions yeah so my first role in in higher education was not in careers it was in learning and development so I used to teach uh skills sessions so I would teach things like how to communicate effectively, how to translate academic languages into lay forms so that you could apply for mm. policy funding and bid writing, networking, that sort of thing. So I, that, that was my first role um, way back when in wow. higher education. <laughs> what was, um right, no, I remember you said you were in learning and teaching, but I didn't realize this was part of that. Um, yeah, so I was I was based in a department um, that that had a lot of PhDs, um, healthcare professionals, and postdocs. So they had their academic teaching, but also those soft skills to help them. You know, particularly if they didn't want to continue in academia. You know, how do I apply for funding? How do I network with? Um, with funders or or health professionals if I'm looking for a job? How do I do an elevator pitch? How do I prepare for my visa? Like all of those kind of things um, we would teach in, in learning and development. I, did you did you enjoy those sessions? Yes, yes, I did, I did. And do you think the majority of um, your students found it like challenging or was it overall like positive? What was that like? Um, I think it, I think overall positive. I'd have to probably have to look back through my feedback forms to see what the students actually <laughs> said. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's a good experience because you're helping the students with skills that they often don't know they have. And it's helping them to articulate what they what they have, because a lot of students and, and I see it now in careers with applications. A lot of students have the skills that are required for jobs and roles and, and what they want to do. I think there is sometimes there's a, a problem with communication. They're not sure how to articulate it. Um, a common a common question that I'm dealing with now with students is is about being commercially aware, and that feels like a very broad term. And if you ask a student what does it mean to be commercially aware, some of them might not know. But if I ask a student, well, do you read the news? Do you know what's happening in your sector? Do yeah. you, could you could you tell me the top five companies you know within the sector you're interested in? They can do all of that, and yeah. that's commercial awareness. So it's just about teaching them to identify and kind of extract what they know. Um, so that's kind of the common thread between that I see between learning and development and what I'm doing now. It's just helping students to extract the skills that they already have and communicate them effectively. Wow. Yeah, no, really vital skills that I think are often overlooked. Mm. Uh, just just as we wrap up, um, I think this is a really important question. I know you've 
like alluded to that in the beginning, but how do you unwind from everything? Like, how do you relax? <laughs> um, two, I guess two main things. One of them is the gym. So I have, I've always been involved in sports, even from a very young age. Um, it's helped me as kind of a mental release, sort of focus um, and, and getting rid of lots of energy. At the moment, I'm quite focused on powerlifting. So I do a lot of strength training, which is really kind of, you know, I can just switch off and think about the weights, which is great. Um, I try to cycle when I can as well. Uh, I would love to be a runner because I feel like that would be a good one as well, but I, I can't run. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah so that that sport is a big part of my life and I think that really helps with the balance I noticed in lockdown mm. for the first couple of weeks when I couldn't go I was getting a bit more agitated and a bit more mm. frustrated towards the end of the day because I didn't have that physical exercise so that's really important to me um and the other thing is I read I read a hell of a lot I love to read I've I've always loved to read um so yeah I've always got a, at least one or two books on the go any uh books that you you're reading now or read recently that you've like to give as a recommendation yeah I can share the two so the books I'm reading at the moment one of them is uh the mirror and the light which is the new one from Hilary Mantel um so I I did uh ancient history at university and I'm always interested in history and I love historical Mm -hmm. fiction so that was I had to get that one when it came out um, and the other one is called uh, Diversify, which is by June Sarpong, who's the new, um, oh gosh, what is her new title? Like head of culture at the BBC or something like that. Um, oh, right. So the, yeah. the book is about how we challenge inequality and, and why we should. And so I'm about halfway through that. And it's really good. So I would recommend both of those books to, to anybody that's interested. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll put that in our show notes. Um, <laughs> Right. So, yeah, I just wanted to say, um, you know, I'm like, I'm just really grateful for this time. You know, you're an accomplished professional in your field. You know, you've been in multiple, you've worn multiple hats and I just came in and asked you an array (laughs) of random questions and you'll be kept it relatively casual. So I'm, I'm glad that, um, you know, you humored me and you answered all of these questions. So I'm really grateful. Um, oh, my pleasure. Yeah. And I, I think, um, do you have anything else that you want to share? Was there something that um, I like glossed over and didn't ask you during our conversation? Um, not really. I think you asked really good questions. I would just in, encourage anyone that's listening to you know, do the work of the research. I think, you know, the the information is out there now unashamedly, even more so than before. So if you want to work on becoming anti-racist or you want to know more about race equality, you cannot say that you can't find any information about it now because it's it's out there. Um, I would always advocate for people to connect because that's the way that I learn best through talking to people. So find yourself a network, find a professional body, find, you know, a group of friends even that you can talk to about this. Um, and just continue to be brave because we're all trying to trying to work to make this a bit better and a bit fairer. Yeah, that's that's yes. <laughs> Wise words. Yeah, on that note. I hope so. Thank you again. <laughs>